The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Well, I invite your attention to uh, uh, page 693 of your Bible or Ezekiel chapter 3. Uh, you all seem a little more lively this week than those with us last week during the gray day. It's good to see you. I uh, invite your attention as we continue our study of, of Ezekiel, glory ravaged and glory restored here with Ezekiel 3, doing what your parents told you to do. This, today's sermon title is Doing What You're Told. Uh, so you can take that to the bank and let it be what it is. It reminds me of the story of the three chefs, and uh, here's a, a three Lego chefs for you if you're really interested. Uh, but there were three chefs who were working in a restaurant one day when the kitchen supervisor came up to them and gave them an order of food with instructions about how to properly cook the food. The first chef looked at the instructions and said, I can show this recipe to a hundred different people and each of them are going to have a different meaning. You can't understand recipes, so why do we even need to read it? I'm just going to go cook. The second chef took a slightly different angle and said, I don't believe this recipe to be the literal directions of you, my supervisor. I think you're talking to me in symbols. I think you're talking to me. In representations, the meat are one thing, the spices are another, and this really isn't about food after all. And you know the rest of the story, don't you? While the other two chefs were debating with the cook, or the head cook, the third chef simply took the recipe, prepared the dish according to the instructions, they gave it to the person who ordered it, they said it was the greatest thing they'd ever tasted, and I'm sure you can guess what happened next. The chef was rewarded for following directions properly, while the other two were reprimanded and fired on the spot for arguing with their boss. Oh, that never happens in real life, does it? <laughs> Doing what you're told. And this story may seem a little bit silly, but it sadly illustrates the, the attitude that many people take towards God and his word. Instead of just doing what they're told, instead of following the letter of the law and the letter of the gospel, many people simply want to do their instructions, bring their recipe, so to speak, for how they want to live their lives. James chapter 4 reminds us, and we've read this frequently over the months, but I think it's a good reminder today. It says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit and you know the rest of the, wor the words, verse 14, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? Is a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live this, live here and do this or do that. Friends, this is exactly where Ezekiel the prophet is. He now has before him the opportunity to do what he is told. He has the opportunity to glorify God in doing exactly what the Lord has put before him. But to be honest with you, the struggle is going to be real because he's going to be going before a group of people that want nothing to do with anything that he has to say. I mean, come on. If you, you know the greatest, uh, or at least it used to be quoted, the greatest fear people have is public speaking, getting up in front of other people and talking. People literally pass out 
Uh, I've asked some of you to do the Advent readings before, and it's like you are looking at me with the, uh, the look of death, Richard Ream. And uh, uh, we know that to be, I'm just messing with you. You did just fine. But you understand. And here Ezekiel is told, go to these people and do what you are told. Speak my words. And he has a decision he has to make. Is he going to do it? Or is he going to make his own decision? And in chapter 3 today, we're going to see the way forward is unclear at first, but it becomes more clear as God speaks to him. God is going to send out his prophet to do what he is told, and it's going to be a grand event. It is a time of commissioning, and the messenger here, Ezekiel, is a man of weakness. He's a man of limitation. But what made this time so great was not that Ezekiel was going to get sent out to do what he was told, but that God would even use such a person as him to go and do anything what God would tell him to do. And his one message is going to be this. Thus says the Lord. This is what God says to do. And because the word of God is so powerful and so double-edged sword, supernatural-like, this man is going to be set apart to do a great thing but it's going to come at a cost. So what does it mean to do as we're told as Christians? We're going to look at that today. And how can we be gripped with the same weightiness of being a messenger of the Lord that Ezekiel has in this chapter? We're going to get there. Here's the big idea today, and it's one we know often here, but it comes straight from the text. It's simply this. It's that sharing the gospel, as we do what we're told in the Great Commission that Nelson read, that sharing the gospel often looks like a waste. It often looks like a waste to share the gospel message of the world that doesn't want to hear it. But in this life, you'll never see all the good that you're sharing has done. Just, just like that old movie, and it's getting old now, Finding Nemo, if you've ever seen that, where he tells him just to keep swimming, keep swimming, keep swimming. As a Christian, you keep sowing, you keep sowing, you keep sowing. You keep sharing, you keep sharing, you keep sharing. Be faithful. Leave the success of that to God. That's exactly what we're going to see Ezekiel do is he's going to do what he's told. So this morning, four job duties of every Christian that we will see today, and you'll see those up on the screen. First, you, you're going to have to sup with God's word, S-U-P. That's not what's up. That's not sup like you put in a text message. Not sup. It means to eat on God's word. Secondly, to fulfill what you're told to do as a Christian, you're to speak God's word to seek God's word, and then finally to steward God's word. And we'll go unpack all those as we go. But this morning, as we look at this passage, you join me in standing as we read, uh, actually starting, we're not going to read all the chapter, we'll get through it. We're just going to read the first three verses this morning. We'll unpack these verses as we go on for sake of time. But as we go through, verses 3, 1 through 3, and then we will read starting at verse 17, starting verse 16 down to verse 20. Let's start in verses 1 to 3. And he said to me, that is the pre-incarnate Christ that we've been studying, Son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat the scroll and go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, Ezekiel talking here, so I opened my mouth and he, that would be Christ, gave me this scroll to eat. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with the scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it. And it was in my mouth, and it was sweet honey to me. Go down to verse 16, and we'll read on a little bit more, some of the more highlighted passages, verse 16. And at the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. 
Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. And if I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, but you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person will die for his iniquity, but his blood I require for your hand, at your hand. Verse 19, but if you warn the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die for his iniquity, but you will be delivered your soul. We'll have delivered your soul. Verse 20, again, if a righteous person turns from his righteousness and commits injustice, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because you have not warned him, he shall not, she shall die for his sin, and his righteous deeds that he has done shall not be remembered, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the righteous person not to sin, and he does not sin, verse 21, he shall surely live, because he took warning, and you shall have delivered your soul. What a weighty passage this is for Ezekiel. And by extension, what responsibility we have as Christians to fulfill this great commission of going to the world to share the gospel even when things don't look successful. But we do what we're told because the Lord is good. Let's pray to him this morning as we start. Bow your heads with me. Father, as we come before you, we come into a passage, Lord, that speaks so clearly of our responsibility. Father, first, in who you are, and second, what you've called us to do. But Father, for Ezekiel, the original person this was given to, what uh, uh, commissioning this must have been, to go to a people who wanted nothing to do, but to go and do it anyway. Father, that is a high calling, but a calling that only you could give and only you could staff us and equip us through and with. Thank you, Lord. Father, we pray for each and every person in our lives that we know that does not know Jesus Christ, the way to heaven, the way of forgiveness only through him, that, Lord, even this day you would use us to speak forth the gospel to them. Even if it interrupts anything that may come this day, Father, may be for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. amen. Guys, you may be seated. Thank you. Well, four duties of every Christian this morning, four duties of every Christian. And I want you to see that first one. You must sup, S-U-P. That literally means to dine with, to eat, all those things. We'll unpack that in a minute. But we must sup God's word. Your first duty as a Christian is to intake, as we sang about, God's word. But notice first right there uh, in verse 1 that you can't share what you don't know. So in verse 1, God reminds Ezekiel who he is. You'll recall, and we'll say this almost every week, that Ezekiel is called the Son of Man. This is a God-given title to Ezekiel to remind him who he is. He's dust. He's ashes. He's nothing great. And we are not on equal terms with God. We are actually quite opposite. But you notice that weird phrase there in verse 1, don't you? He tells him in verse 1, Son of Man, eat this scroll. Now, some of y'all are ready to rip out your Bible pages and start dining on your Bible right in front of me. Please don't do that. We're going to call 911, all right? But I want you to know he's still in the midst of his vision, Ezekiel is, that we've been studying in chapters 1 and chapter 2. And we told you this vision is real. It's a real thing. So when he says, eat this scroll, he's literally intending it to be something that is spiritually discerned. It's something that the divine message has to be given to him. But it's a command, eat, eat it. And this command, eat, is like you and I would call a five-course meal. It's not just one of those, hey, Taco Bell, give me the best tacos you got, and I've got five minutes to get to work, let me stuff this down my throat. 
This is time that he's going to spend eating this. He says, eat the scroll. He was to digest and take time chewing his food. I'm a fast eater. I don't know about you. I, if there's food in front of me, it usually doesn't stay there very long. Many of you are like that. But some of you are great, and you take like the, the recommended 50 uh, chews per bite. Is it something like that? I don't know what it is. And you, 28. I'm, Tina, I don't know why you know that. Okay, Carlos, you're to blame. But I want you to take that picture from our time today. With We talk about chewing our food. We teach our kids to chew our food. The, the thought here, when he says to Ezekiel, you eat this scroll, take your time, Ezekiel. Don't rush through this. Dig into it. Enjoy it. Savor it. Water at the mouth with it. Go crazy over it because this is the best thing. That word sup is an old word. It literally means to dine with. It's like when you go out on a date with your wife, you usually, or your significant other, or your whatever, you usually don't rush through the meal. You usually try to enjoy the meal. At least that's the point. That's the point here. He tells him, son of man, if you're going to be and do what I tell you to do, you must first get this into you. And it must filtrate every part of you. You must enjoy it so much and receive it so much that it becomes second nature for you. And then he tells him why. He says, and then you will go out and speak. Get this in you so that you're ready to go out and tell the world about it. He must first consume the word before he can go out. And, and, and Amy will throw this up on the screen. I just want to right out of the gate here just give this to you. Is that the effectiveness of what God calls you to do is measured in how well you consume the word of God. Even if you're putting napkins out every Sunday so that we can have cookies or you're, you're putting diapers in the diaper pail of the nursery so that kids can have a, a clean diaper if they need one of those, friends, the intake of God's word is always going to trump whatever service you are doing. Think about Mary and Martha. You remember that story? Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus, taking it all in, and Martha's back there grumbling in the kitchen, Jesus, I'm doing all the work back here, and Mary's just sitting there. You remember that story? And who did Jesus commend? He commended Mary committed her for taking in the Word of God. And I want to tell you, the strength of our ministry here at Tower View is dependent on how well you intake, process, and dare I say, digest through this Word until it gets in us. The more Word we have, the more we will we go forward as a church. And then he says in verse 2, he says, He opened my mouth. So I opened my mouth. And he gave me the scroll to eat. Ezekiel doesn't debate God here. God, if you want me to eat this thing, give it to me straight, right? And here it is. He opens his mouth and he does it. And it says in verse 3 that he said to me, son of man, feed your belly with the scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. Don't just do the drive-by five-minute devotional when you roll in the parking lot at work, Ezekiel. Ezekiel, don't just go to church and get a sermon once a week and think that's good enough for you. Ezekiel, don't just think that you can listen to Christian radio and get all the godliness that you need. You have to do this yourself, and you have to take it in yourself. Friends, it's so dangerous to live in the culture we live in today because everyone wants to be godly, but no one wants to be disciplined to be godly. We live in a culture that loves soundbite Christianity. We love soundbites. They're called sermon jams, if you want to look them up. They take a sermon, and they put some cool techno music behind it or some rap music behind it, and they get the highlight, the apex of the sermon, 
and I listen to those when I run, and you talk about like, like if you know Paul Washer or John MacArthur, these guys yelling in your ear, there's, there's some motivation for you. It'll get you moving more than Richard Simmons will. <laughs> but I want to remind you that we don't live off soundbite Christianity. You don't live off baby food. You don't live. You live off the meat of God's word. And Ezekiel was told to let this fill his belly. Savor it. Get it in there. Even if it's the book of Leviticus, some of y'all are getting to that time of the year where you're getting ready to turn to Leviticus in a couple weeks. Some of y'all suffered through numbers in Sunday school. But I want to remind you that John was told the same thing in Revelation chapter 10. Devour this. Eat this up. As we study these prophecies more in Ezekiel, you'll find that it's sweet to your soul. But I want you to know, too, it's as sweet as honey to your mouth. It is. Guys, can I remind us here that there is no greater authority than this. The pastor has no more authority than what the Word of God gives. The church has no more authority than the Word of God gives. And we are to be those, and Amy, you can throw this up. That's the second one there. We are to be those who eat and devour God's Word. I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. But can I just ask you a very simple question? Is this a reality in your life? We're all busy. We get it. Maybe you have to put your earbuds in and listen to it while you drive to work. Maybe you have to do it while you exercise. Maybe you have to use your lunch break to dig in the Word of God. I don't know. But you need to go home and ask yourself, Lord, am I really in taking your Word? Dr. The late Dr. R.C. Sproul said it this way. He said, quote, I can't read God's mind, but I can read God's Word. I can't read God's mind, but I can read God's word. Man shall not live by what alone? Bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jeremiah 15, 16, your words were a joy and delight to my heart. First Peter 2, may we long for the milk of the word. The more you taste it, the more you love it. Guys, and let me just tell you, you will not grow as a Christian. We will not grow as a church. We will not grow as families in this church unless the Word of God is priority in everything that we do. And Ezekiel had to have that first. He had to sup on God's Word. Not what's up, but he had to sup and dine on it and let him savor it out. Take time. Look, if you're a Sunday school teacher, can I just give you another encouragement? If you have to spend an hour on one verse to unpack God's Word, praise the Lord. If you're a person who likes to get things done and we got to get through 27 chapters we do every week on Sunday school because that's just what the, the, the quarterly says, okay, great. But if you need to spend one week on one verse, then praise God. That's more than most people will get in a week. But I want to remind you, just coming to church is not enough to feed your spiritual soul. You have to do this daily as, or as often as you can even though we all fail at it for times. Second thing you must do as a Christian, you must, to, to do what you're told, you must step on God's word. Second thing is, you must speak God's word. Look at verse four. It's not enough just to receive it to our souls, but there's more here. He tells him in verse four, and, and he said to me, and who's that he? Again, it's, this is the pre-incarnate Christ, the second, son, uh, the second member of the Trinity, the son of God. He says, son of man, go to the house of Israel. Stop right there. He, he, he basically says, you're just simply taking my message. That's all you got to do. How many of y'all have ever been a waiter or waitress before? Just curious. A few hands go up. I'd be afraid I'd drop that thing every time. But that's what you are as a Christian. You are just simply a spiritual waiter taking the meal that God has provided, taking it out, and setting it before people. Whether they eat it or not, whether they like it or not, whether they care for it or not is not your job. Your job is to go. Your job is to speak the message. Your job is to be a part of that. 
We are not the cooks. That is prepared by God. We are simply to be the waiters in that process. And so he goes on to say, go to the house of Israel. And, and we're to bring it hot, by the way. We're to bring the word hot. We're not to bring leftovers to other people. Well, if you want to believe this message, great. But if not, eh, that's okay. We're to bring the message of God's word as it is. And he says, and he goes on in verse 4, he says, And go to the house of Israel and speak my words to them. Notice the key emphasis on my words, not Ezekiel's, but God's words. For you're not sent to a people, verse 5, of foreign speech or hard language, but to the house of Israel. And so what he's saying to them is they know the language you do. You don't have to do what our missionaries are doing right now who came to visit us where they have to go through language school. Just go repeat what I tell them. And he tells them, and he says, you sent to them, you, you're being sent to them, and not to, uh, but to the house of Israel, verse 6, not to many peoples of foreign speech or hard language whose words cannot understand. Surely if I sent you to such, they would listen to you. He says, Ezekiel, you're going to go, and the problem is not a language barrier. The problem is not they don't understand. The problem is they don't care to understand. They don't want to understand. They will hear you and smile. Great sermon, Ezekiel. Oh, that's so lovely. Oh, man, that was the best you've ever given me before. But they don't care a lick about what you say. They will hear you and not know you. And verse 7 says, they will not be willing to listen to you. They're not rejecting you, Ezekiel. They're rejecting me. Do you remember that happened to Samuel? Do you remember that story? The prophet Samuel was before the Lord, and the people were crying out, Give us a king! Give us a king! Give us a king! And Samuel prayed about the words they said, and God said, You know what? Give them a king. If that's what they want, here it is. But what he reminds Ezekiel and what Samuel was reminded of is don't take it personal. There's, their problem is not with you, Ezekiel. It's with me. If you've ever shared the gospel before and someone gets mad at you, it is hard not to feel bad about that situation, you know? Because that person looks at you and they are just, how dare you tell me I'm a sinner? I'm all right. I was born all right. I'm good. I come from a good family. And you're telling me I deserve the worst? Friend, it's never going to be palatable to the world. But Jesus says in Luke 10, 16, the one who hears you hears me. And the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. And this reminds us, and Amy, you can put this up on the screen, that the church doesn't need another self-promoting, self-obsessed, opportunistic entertainer. We need humble shepherds who've died to self, who are willing to be disliked for preaching the truth, and who preach the word no matter what the cost. Friend, would you pray for that for our church? That as a church together, this is okay with us. Uh, sister, we were talking about the other day about how as we go deeper into our culture, the messages that we preach at our church are going to be less and less received. We were talking about that at Busy Hands on Tuesday. And the more and more people hate the message, the more and more people get riled up and all those sorts of things. But they are going to be, like verse 7 says, these people didn't need an entertainer. Verse 7 tells us, and, and God says, but the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you. For that, they're not willing to listen to me because all the house of Israel have a hard forehead and a stubborn heart. Now, none of you have ever had that in your, your relationships before, have you? How you doing today? I'm doing just fine. Thank you very much. Go all John Wayne on him and Rambo on him. Friend, he told him to go and do the impossible. That was last week's message. But he tells him again, they're not going to listen to you. Don't care what they say. 
Don't care what they react to you. You go anyway. It's a fool's errand. How crazy did God give us this thing called the gospel? Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Okay, God, let's go. And they're all going to believe, right, God? No, they're not. They're all going to love us, God, because we're so sweet, loving, dovey, you know, just cool people, right? They're going to hate you. But, but, but God, we're, we're, we're nice, and we serve our community, and we wear cool T-shirts and all these things that make the, the community want to love us. doesn't matter. They're going to hate you. But go anyway. Oh, come on. How do we all want to sign up for that? But if you know the one who sent you, if you know the one who said, I am he, I am the first and the last, the beginning and the end, and I am the alpha, the omega, and I am all this stuff, you go because you know it's worth it. Guys, someday, one of you all asked me this week, and I don't think you're here today. It was over Messenger, but one of you all asked me this week, well, when we get to heaven, will we be sad for those family members who are not in heaven with us, but who are the opposite way, who rejected Jesus Christ? Friends, you won't be sad on that day. Because here, you don't see as you see up there or wherever with God. You see here through shaded, jaded, sinful eyes, redeemed as you may be. But in heaven someday, you'll just be joyous that you can count all those, a multitude unnumbered, Revelation says, that have come to know Jesus because God has saved them. We don't see like that now, but he says, go anyway. Preach the word no matter what the cost. Christian, are you willing to count that cost? Are you willing to do that? But he tells him in verse 8, behold, I've made your face as they are. You ever been in one of those staring contests with someone before? You stare them down, I can do that stare too. It's kind of what he's saying here. As they are to resist, I'm going to do a work of grace in your heart, and I'm going to do, I'm going to give you strength, I'm going to give you courage, I'm going to give you boldness. They're going to try and run you off, Ezekiel, and you will be as bold as a lion. I'm going to make you so thick-skinned, Ezekiel, and determined that only God could work in this way. And so he says in verse 9, if you look there, like emery and harder than flint, I made your forehead. If you know anything about flint, you know that thing can cut you one way or another just by touching it. It's sharp. Emery is sharp. It's, it, it's something you don't mess with. What is he telling him? He's telling him very clearly here that as you go, I'm going to strengthen you spiritually, that their words are going to bounce off you like something would bounce off flint or anything, anything else. Ezekiel, that you would be so sharp that, the, that you would not waver in what I'm telling you to do. Friends, and this is another good reminder. Maybe you can put this up. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the call. That's not original to me. But I want you to know that as God called Ezekiel to this impossible situation to speak the gospel forth, he gave him the strength equal to everything before him. Whatever laid before him, the rebellious house before him, he didn't need a committee. He didn't need to make peace with them. He just needed to go and speak the message to them. And so he tells him in verse 10, Moreover, son of man, all my words I speak to you, receive in your heart and hear with your ears. If you're going to go, you've got to be all in. And he says, go and speak to the exiles and speak to them, whether they listen or not. Verse 11, thus says the Lord. Friends, I don't care if you, you believe in dispensational theology, if you believe Jesus is coming back halfway through the tribulation or there's no tribulation, he's just going to rapture us all out at the end of seven years. Wherever you fall on that spectrum of the end times, one thing we can all agree on is this. 
This message you speak is never going to be popular. It's never going to be palatable. It's never going to go down easy. It's always going to come at great strife. God often breaks the hearts of proud people by simple, faithful people like us sharing the message. Just be faithful to bring the message. You know what? I'm in the midst of training for another marathon and uh, probably driving my wife nuts uh, uh, in all the ways that I do when I train for marathons. And some weeks, your training is on. Some weeks, you're just on. You're hitting every workout. You're hitting every pace. You're hitting every thing. And these last three weeks, we've had kids in the hospital. I've gotten the junk. We haven't slept. And every workout has seemed like the torture machine. And it's called a treadmill anyway. It's, that's what I do. But self, self-willed, yes, John Moody, I know I don't have to run a marathon. You told me that once. Thank you. It's the Lord's lot of my life. But one thing they tell you in running I think is true here in some spiritual ways. Just show up. Be faithful. Just show up. Friends, you may not always have the best words to say at the best time at the best place. Just show up. Be faithful to show up to what God has given you, and I guarantee you he'll bless it. Be faithful, even when it's not successful. So we must not only sup on God's word, we must speak God's word. But notice verses 12 through 16, we must seek God's word. We must seek God's word, number three. God's work can only be done in God's power or it's going to be doomed to fail. Look at verse 12. And this is where it gets a little bit fun because the Spirit is back. And the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, fully God. Then the Spirit lifted me up and I heard behind me the voice of a great earthquake. I want you to know the Spirit physically lifted him up. You say, well, how could that be? Well, do you remember Elijah on the Mount Carmel? Do you remember what happened in that episode? Elijah somehow got from point A to point B just like that. The Spirit lifted him up. Do you remember the story of Philip and the Ethiopian uh, eunuch in Acts chapter 8? Do you remember that story? Philip is preaching one day, and all of a sudden he just kind of appears somewhere else. How did that work? The Spirit Now, did the Spirit, was this teleported? No, this is God supernaturally doing a work, and we believe it to be true. Look, if you believe Jesus Christ rose from the dead, this should be nothing for you, right? Or a talking donkey with Balaam. Some people struggle with that. If you believe Jesus Christ rose from the dead, the talking donkey is like child's play, man, because God has raised himself from the dead, amen? The Spirit lifted him up. We must have the Spirit in our lives. And this is what it says in verse 13. He goes on. He, and it said, the, 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 more, the verse 12, Blessed be the glory of the Lord from its place. And it was the sound of the wings of the living creatures. You remember those from chapter 1, the four living creatures? As they touched one another, and the sound of the wheels behind them, and the sound of the great earthquake. This is the literal vision that he's seeing. The sound of their wings, the wheels and the earthquake. Back to chapter 1. It's a dramatic scene. And what he is telling him here is, is, I am with you. We are behind you. We are doing this together, Ezekiel. And verse 14, the spirit lifted me up and took me away and went enraged and bitter of my spirit. Do you see that in verse 14? What does this mean? He, he's, he's being pushed onward. The spirit's lifted me up and took him away. And he says, I went in bitterness and the heat of my spirit and the hand of the Lord was strong upon me. How in the world, Ezekiel, dude, wake up. Newsflash, You're, you've got the power of God behind you. How can you be bitter? How can you be angry? How can you be anything but just like, whoa? 
What does this mean? Do you remember back in verse 3? He was a sup on God's word. The message was sweet. Do you remember that? But the implications are starting to sink in. God, I love your word. God, this is great. You're amazing. You're awesome. There's no one like you. But Lord, are you really going to bring judgment on these people? But Lord, are you really going to throw the book at them? I mean, they're not that bad, are they, Lord? I mean, they, they seem to be good people. They go to church. They go to temple. What's happening? Ezekiel is beginning to grieve on the inside, and he's beginning to feel what God has felt for centuries. God has given them time and time and time again the message. Warning, 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 warning. And eventually the warnings just stop. You know, that's the interesting thing about the end of days when we get to Revelation. At the beginning part of Revelation, when God is seen, there's thunder, there's lightning, there's, you know, you know uh, uh, twister type stuff. But when we get to the last scenes at the very end of time, if such a thing can be said, the very end of the judgment time, all that stops and there's silence. The warnings have stopped. The lightning flashes have stopped flashing. The thunderbolts have stopped going. What Ezekiel is feeling here, guys, is what every one of us has to do. When you stand in the presence of God and, you, and in his glory, you'll see as God sees and feels as he feels, even with the hand of the Lord on you. And I want to remind you today that sometimes when you look out at this world, you're going to feel sad and you're going to question like Jonah did, God, why did you send me to these people if they're just going to be judged anyway? What's the point? You're going to feel a weightiness in your soul. Because you're going to realize that God has told us that not everyone is going to believe the message. And that's going to grieve your heart, or it should. If it doesn't, that's a whole other problem. But as you go out into the world and you share the gospel, as you speak and you seek God's word and you suffer on God's word and you do those things, you're going to feel that bitterness in your soul. Bitter because God is bad? Not at all. God is good all the time. Amen? but bitter because as a human, you're starting to see even a small part and feel the weight in just a small part of what God feels every day for all those who reject him. And let me tell you, that's a good thing. Because if you savor on the word of God and sup on it, and if you speak the word of God and you, you, you praise God for those opportunities, you're going to feel a bitterness in your soul, and that's going to drive you back to your knees to seek God more than you ever have before. Lord, I don't understand it all, but I want to keep doing what you've told me to do. Help me to be faithful. Amy will put this up. But the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to reveal the Son of God to the children of God for the glory of God. That's a lot of language in there, I realize. But what it means is, is simply this, is that as you go, and that at times you say, God, this isn't fair. Why are these people not responding to the message that you seek after his Word? And when you seek after his word, he's going to remind you it's not about you. It's not about your ministry. It's not about your feelings. It's not about your bitterness. It's about his glory. And church, we need to be reminded of that as well. I pray that God fills every single one of these seats every week at Tower View Baptist Church. Amen? And he brings people here. And he brings more and more people here. People who need to be saved. People who need to grow. But it's not about our plans. 
I mean, what is the best case scenario? What if Tower View got up to 1,000 people? We built a brand new spanking building with cool things and all the whistles and all that stuff, but it was for our glory and not his. What would be the end result? It would be just busyness. Friends, may God be glorified in everything because we need to remember it's not about us. But when you get down in doing what God has told you to do, you need to seek after his word. And this is what will happen. Look at verse 15. Verse 15 tells us what he did after he got bitter in his soul. And I came to the exiles at Tel Aviv who were dwelling by the Chabar, Chabar Canal, and I sat where they were dwelling, and I sat there overwhelmed among them for seven days. Look, if you need to be recharged spiritually, go spend some time around some unsafe people and talk to them about the gospel and remind yourself what God has done for you. Do you know what Ezekiel did when he got bitter in soul? He went out to people that God told him to speak to, and he's eventually going to get recharged. That sounds counterproductive. Well, shouldn't we spend time around Christians? Yes, you should. But friends, sometimes the spiritual jolt you need, the shock you need to get your heart back spiritually, is to go talk to someone who doesn't know a lick or care a lick about Jesus Christ. And you will be amazed what it does. He was overwhelmed for seven days at the thought that God was going to bring judgment on them. He sought God's word. And as he did, his vision became much clearer. Let's close with this. Number four. Not only must you sup on God's word, you must speak God's word, seek God's word, but you must finally seek or steward God's words as you seek out his word. We're not going to go through all the chapter. We're going to go down to verse 21. But notice verse 17, the very first. He tells him in verse 17, he says, And at the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me. As he went out among the people, as God told him to, God spoke to him, Son of man, verse 17, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. Let me stop there for a second. To keep watch over this, they used to have, as you know, and Patricia, I know you have one of these, the shofar, the shofar, the, uh, to sound the signal. And they used to be up on the, the, the high places doing the, the calling out in case the enemies came. And it was always something. They were like a lifeguard at the beach. They were always looking. Their one job was to make sure everybody was safe. He was a watchman. He was a watch person, a watch woman. It doesn't matter your nomenclature. Every Christian is called to be a watchman for the souls of the world. It's not enough just to savor this word, to speak this word, to seek God out in his word. We now must steward his word. We must take it out to the nations. And he says in verse 18, there, this is the first reaction here. He says, if I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning or speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his sin, but his blood I will require at your hand. Let me just be, let's just cut the air right here. If you've read Frank Peretti from the 1980s, this is totally anti-Frank Peretti, and that's probably a good thing. But he used to teach that we would literally have blood dripping from our hands on the day of Judgment Day for every person we did not save. Friends, that is not your responsibility. But I do think there is a literal truth that's being conveyed here that, that we are responsible to some degree to share the gospel for every person. Does a person go to hell because we don't share the gospel with them? No. God is sovereign. He's chosen those who are his. We can talk about that another day. 
but he also requires of us to be faithful to where we're to be faithful. It's not our job to convert. It is our job to be faithful. But you notice what he says? If you give no warning, if you don't tell them what's coming, then shame on you. But notice verse 19. He goes on to the next step as we read at the opening. He goes on in verse 19, and he tells to steward God's words. But if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he will die, but you have delivered your soul. Ezekiel, look, what I'm telling you to do is not easy. But I'm telling you, if you do it faithfully, that's all I'm asking you to do. Do it faithfully. If they want to choose to do their own thing and not follow me, Ezekiel, okay. We'll grieve over that. But you've done your job. And let me just say here, this doesn't mean that... uh, it doesn't mean this is done in a vacuum. It doesn't mean that Ezekiel is emotionless as he do this. My name is Ezekiel. Hear the word of the Lord. Believe or do not believe. Yes or no. Okay. His heart's heavy. He's not a robot here. Ezekiel has already shown his emotion by his bitterness of soul. Ezekiel wants these people to believe in all that God has and to return to him. But God tells him, Ezekiel, even if they reject you, you have done your part. Verse 20, again, if a righteous person turns from his righteousness and commits injustice and I lay a stumbling block, he shall die. Because you have not warned him, he shall die for his sin. His righteous deeds that he has done shall not be remembered, but his blood I will require at your hand. He basically tells him once again, a righteous person turns from his righteousness and commits injustice, and I lay a stone lock, you have not warned him, he shall die, but I will require for you at his hand. The whole point of this is this, and, and we're going to stop there verse-wise. Amy, if you want to put up the last thing. Here it is in very, very simple language. Your job, be faithful to share. Their job, make a decision. God's job, convert and harden hearts. But God can't tell anyone what to do. We all have free will, don't we? Oh, come on. Someone's got to... Here's what I'll say. Guys, we have no problem in the book of Exodus where God hardens Pharaoh's heart, do we? We read through that all the time, especially this time of year. Most of your Bible reading plans will be there probably by the start of February. It depends on your plan. And you'll look at those verses and be like, God hardened his heart. Ezekiel, or excuse me, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Who did the hardening? Yes, is the answer. The classic Nelson, yes, it's both. God knows everyone's heart. If he didn't, he wouldn't be God. But God has also given that person a choice whether to harden it or not harden it. So guys, as you share the gospel... People are either going to love God more or hate God more. People are either going to reject God more or accept God. People are either going to say, give it to me or don't give it to me. But your job is not to worry about the reaction. Your job is to worry about pleasing your Savior. Do what you're told. Pastors are people pleasing people. Did you know that? We love to please people, don't we, pastors? We love when people smile at us. We love when people say, that was the best sermon I've ever heard. We love when people write us notes. We love to say things that make people feel better, especially when they're in a tough spot. 
one of the hardest grading things for us as pastors is speaking to people because we've been given a task that's impossible apart from God's work. And so too, each of us have been called to do that. If God's word was based on the reaction of people, God's word would never go anywhere, right? But God's word is God's word and it's powerful. I want to see Grace more. Where's Grace more? Grace more's back there. Get my directions around here. Leon, your spot. Gail, your spot. I want to see Maple Park. I want to see your neighborhood where we live in South Liberty. All these places come to know Jesus. And it's going to start as we sup on God's word. We take it in. As we speak his word. As we seek out his word, even when things are tough. And we steward it. We, we, we take it out, even if the reaction's bad. If we do those things, just keep sowing, sowing, sowing. God is going to bless it. Let's pray together as we close today. Father, as we come before you on this uh, very cold day, Father, would you stir within us a burning desire to see people come to Jesus? Father, we know that if we're Christians, we've heard this message before. Father, we, we, we've heard the stories, we've heard the guilt trips, we've heard the, uh, the pleas, the, the, the pitiful pleas at times from evangelists and pastors just to go share. Father, those are all well and good, I suppose, in your providence. But, Lord, we, we really what we need at the base is just your spirit to stir our souls, to remind us how sweet your word is, but to do as Ezekiel felt as he was in the spirit, to feel the bitterness that comes, the weightiness that comes from being a Christian, and not to be overwhelmed by that, but, Father, to go and speak all the more, to just trust that you're with us and you've got a plan and that you are going to carry it out even as though we don't see success right away or even in our lifetime that we are doing what you've told us to do. Father, we pray for fruitfulness in our church. We pray for faithfulness in our church. Father, we pray that you are glorified in our church. Thank you for these sweet people. Father, may you be lifted high. We pray all these things in name, Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. Brother. Well, we're thankful that we have a hand that leads